I told you about my uh, car episode. Yeah, that was like the, the first thing I thought was. Um... I fell asleep when I was driving. Yes, and I wasn't. But that's what you thought I meant. You weren't Mitchell. driving. No, the this woman yeah. who died during that storm. You know that bomb cyclone storm that I got caught in. Oh right, she got stuck, and it was her and a dog or something, and she couldn't. Uh, yes. She got stuck, and she couldn't keep the heat going, and she froze to death. Poor, poor well, woman. actually, she, it wasn't freezing to death. She um, she thought she was doing the right thing, and she parked with the heater on, and the snow covered her exhaust. And ah, the, the exhaust, so it came into the car. Yeah, yeah and that's what I was thinking. Yeah. You you fell asleep, and you know you fell asleep and. It's always dangerous to fall asleep in a car with the engine running. Yes, I agree. Um, Not a smart thing. But you were okay, though, right? Yeah. Because you were... Were you just cold? Is that why you had to have the engine running? Uh, I find it comforting to have the rumble of the engine going. I something like that. It's mm. nothing particularly scientific. It's kind of silly. But I, um, but I live a, lead a charmed life, for the most part. <laughs> Yeah. At least as far as that kind of stuff is concerned. So. Knock on wood. Um, knock on wood. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, so basically my um, against logic, against what I know is likely going to happen, which is that the deeply loathed every everything everywhere all at once is going to probably win the Best Picture Oscar here in this country because of the indications signified by the DGA win. Now, could you explain to the layman, in dumb person terms, why you think a director's guild, uh, you know, plurality, plurality, if you will, means that the entire academy, all the actors, everything is. It, why does that mean that? Can you explain? Because you're very savvy about this stuff. Well, all right, I'll give you two different versions of what could happen. The first is that I didn't expect this movie to win the DGA. I know that some people were predicting it, um, but I expected if it wasn't going to be Spielberg, then it would be maybe Todd Field for Tar or um, Mm -hmm. Kaczynski for Top Gun or something, because I was thinking about Best Picture. Um, I didn't think that they'd be jumping all over themselves to give Best Director to two people. They tend to like to award one person. They've only given it to two people, I think, twice. One was for West Side Story, mm. and one was for uh, uh, No Country for Old Men. And so I didn't think they were going to do that. So for them to do it, to me, was an indication that, that this was the beginning of a very large consensus vote for a movie. However, let me just specify one thing. Mm-hmm. There are some movies that come into the Oscar race, and they just win everything, like Birdman. Birdman didn't win the Golden Globe, and so people thought, oh, it's not going to win anything, because Boyhood was winning everything. As you remember, Mm. you were one of Birdman's main advocates. So then Birdman comes in, and it wins the PGA, then it wins the DGA, then it wins the SAG. It gets all the way to BAFTA, and BAFTA only gives that movie cinematography. doesn't give it any other awards, so people think, oh, that's weird, the BAFTA didn't like Birdman. But it didn't matter, because Mm -hmm. it had won the PGA, the DGA, and the SAG, and that locked it in for the Oscars. Um, so because Birdman was just resonating differently here than it was over there for whatever reason, um, maybe because of our own situation with, with superhero movies, you know, the thing about Birdman was that it was a lament of the death of, uh, good movies and art 
um, to be overtaken by superhero movies. That was the whole point of that movie. So I think in Hollywood, that resonates more deeply than it would in the UK. Similarly, mm-hmm. so if, if this is the beginning of that for everything everywhere, if it's about to win the PGA and the SAG over here, then regardless of what won at BAFTA, it's still going to win the Oscar. But here's the thing to also think about. The time when, when all these other movies won, the Academy Awards and the Oscar season was all very crunched together. It was like everything happened, and then by the end of February, it was all over with. Well, now, this year and last year, the Oscars have extended their time frame, and that gives people more time to contemplate. Like, for instance, CODA might not have won if there hadn't been so much lag time. So that actually doesn't work in everything, everywhere, all at once is favor, because it's still we've still got a long way to go before voting even starts in March, right? It doesn't start till March, so there's time for mm. for it to uh, for another movie to catch it um, and and disrupt. But it. why do you right. if there if there is time? And in my heart, I deeply want to believe that that this is possible. Why are you saying? Um, why are you mentioning the time factor if you believe, based upon the DGA, that it is? Probably, you know, not guaranteed to win it, but it's certainly a, a likely winner based on what? Because I think that what's motivating people voting for that movie here is more about the conversation. Honestly, you're going to hate this, but it's true. The, you know, the conversation about race and wokeness. I think they're not out of that yet. And I think they are. The, the BAFTAs just flipped, you know, flipped them off and said, fuck, we don't care. You know, we're not going to signal anything to you after you, you punished us for however many years they took away their voting privileges in the main categories for the nominations and brought in a... You should be specific, though. You, you're yeah. saying BAFTA. What you mean is the BAFTA rank and file, not the elite uh, people who are kind of no, well, organizing what... and running it, the awoke change of the BAFTA thing in general. Well, right. and, and this, all of this stuff, as, you, as readers of my site know, because I was writing about all this, a very, very mm-hmm. passionately writing about race and gender and stuff like that, the very thing that I criticize now I was doing. But um, mm-hmm. so it was all simmering starting in like 2013 with Oscars So White. And, you know, the criticisms yeah. were coming fast and hard for the BAFTA and for Oscar and for the whole industry, and they still are. So the, the BAFTA took the heat for a long time. Um, and in 2020, which was mm. the year everything changed, after the it was a great awakening. It was a, a revolution in the streets, and it was a social yeah. justice revolution across all cultural institutions. So the BAFTA, yeah. in that moment of panic, like everybody else who panicked at that time, they changed their voting for directing and for the acting categories. And what they did was they brought in a special committee to select the nominees to make them equitable and fair. And if you look back at 2021's nominees and um, 2020, maybe 20, if you look back in the and their acting nominees, you'll see that they picked a bunch of people that nobody had ever heard of. And in fact, last year, yes. there wasn't a single Best Actress nominee at BAFTA that also had an Oscar nomination because they were selecting them based on equity, based, in, based on race and based on, you know, trying to be as representative yeah. and inclusive as possible. And so that, the BAFTA voters did that for two years. They, they have to suffer through that. 
So, I mean, I know it's not mm. suffering. It's like, please. But, I mean, I think if you're in the industry and, and someone tells you that they're taking away your knife and fork and they're going to cut your meat for you, <laughs> I think they resent <laughs> it, you know. So, mm. I, uh, I that that has to be why they voted the way they did this time. They just said, fuck you. We're going to pick whatever we yeah. want. And we like these people. And we're not going to virtue signal. We don't like your movie at all. Um, yeah. I mean, they liked it enough to give it editing at one editing. It just wasn't, um, you know, they passionately love Banshees and they passionately love All Quiet and they were going to award those films no matter what. They had the vote and they did it. And, you know, people, as I sent you those texts, people are already starting the narrative here um, about the kind of actors that they picked and... um, And, you know, people can only take so much of that kind of criticism. Not everybody can handle that level of load on their back, being accused that way, especially people like in the American Academy who really are like, you know, the type of woman who, you know, I don't know, a Gwyneth Paltrow type or a Jamie Lee Curtis type Mm -hmm. or whatever. These, these, These women who, you know, or any celebrity, Judd Apatow, whose image is out there for all. You know, and and they can't handle the criticisms that they're part of an institution that is potentially racist. So I think that if they pick everything everywhere all at once, they know that nobody's going to criticize them, right? Yeah. They're going to walk away clean, and and people are going to praise them and celebrate them online. And if they don't, then they're going to get screamed at. And it's just a matter of how much of that they can take. That's how I see it anyway. I don't think personally that that movie is good enough to beat all the other movies. I don't personally think that. A lot of other people do. They think it's great and that it deserves to win. I don't. Yeah, but you don't mean across the board. What you mean is there's a a sector of the the industry, of of the Academy membership, that is very fervent, feels very fervently about that film. But that's mainly... The under forties, the uh, the millennials, more or less, and it's it's noteworthy to to remind ourselves that the general reaction amongst the over forties and certainly the over fifties is not just I didn't get it, but I really didn't care for that experience at all, and it's really quite divisive, and which is why I'm kind of shocked that I thought that films that were divisive ultimately didn't prevail. I thought they were, um, you know, it's more of a uh, kind of, a, you know, consensus choices tend to be a little, you know, a little less alienating to at least, a, you know, a certain segment of the of the voting block, if you will. So I, I just that, find it that's, astonishing that people are... Well, that's, um, that's, there are only two groups that use the preferential ballot. That's the Producers Guild and the Academy. And that means that mm-hmm. if you're a divisive movie, you can't win on the. Like, for instance, a movie like Tar is divisive mm-hmm. because people love it or they hate it. And they don't really yeah. have it in between, right? It's, it's, a, it's a movie that you either really, really love or you just didn't get it at all. And um, yeah. if you're voting for it, right? Otherwise, it sits at the bottom of your ballot. It's not going to be at the top of your ballot. Um, the reason that mm-hmm. Everything Everywhere does well on the ballot, on the preferential, and then. I have to add, I don't really know if it will do well. We have to wait to see for next weekend. The Producers Guild happens. And then that, that'll mm-hmm. be its first, its first try on the preferential ballot. And if anything else wins there, 
then we do have a mm-hmm. real race on our hands for best picture. Okay. I absolutely despise, uh, you sent this to me, but there is a guy who posts the most inane observations and questions on Twitter about movie stuff. His name is Brian Rowe, R-O-W-E. And right in the immediate aftermath of the announcement of the seven uh, BAFTA awards that were won by um, All Quiet on the Western Front and the, and the blanking of... Um, of um, everywhere, um, all at once, uh, except for editing, as we've already noted. He said he had a picture of Austin and Kate Blanchett and Kerry uh, Condon and um, and uh, Barry Keegan. And he says, four acting winners at BAFTA. Seems a little, hmm, what's the word? I know. And what he meant was, you know, it's kind of white preferential, yeah. and not really in the groove, you know. I absolutely despise people like that. I mean, it's just, that's exactly Tell what he meant. To, 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 you know, to be in the same realm with that kind of thinking. I just, I just. The reason that he tweets stuff like that, or anybody tweets anything like that on Twitter, is because you get a lot of credit for it. You know, you get a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. And um, I just want people on this podcast to know that it's not me making all that noise. It's Jeff. Wait a minute, I didn't make any noises now. I was just sitting here. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe you anything. have a, a very sensitive microphone, perhaps. But um, okay. Uh, so anyway, that uh, that that I think that that tweet by him, I sent it to you because it's an illustration of how the the narrative will shift on Twitter back to race mm. and racism because it's never really about what it's supposed to be about. What it's about is is power. It's about power. It's about controlling what people think and say. That Judd Apatow letter to the New York Times was really, that's just power. That that is less concern for the trans community and more concern for having the power to say what people are allowed to say. And when you have that power, which they use by saying, uh, you know, like you posted on your site that it, if you if you want to be a journalist and you want to you know, do investigative journalism and try to get to the truth of something controversial, then you're putting the lives at risk and are responsible for the deaths of two trans people. So if you don't write this way, if you don't do what we tell you, trans people are going to die on the street. And that's just um, a way to have power over people by, by exploiting their concern, their sympathy, their fear. But it doesn't really have no. any sort of uh, basis in the truth at all. Like it's it's it is a uh, it's a ploy, a scare tactic for control. Mm. And so in this case, mm. what it really is is these are people on Twitter who are used to having power and control, and they they've been using power and control by by threatening, you know, by by threatening uh, the industry, um, by threatening people who are going to be attacked, like that letter that they put they singled out journalists at the new york times the only reason they did that was to intimidate the journalists you know um to intimidate them into being afraid to write anything so what this does is it intimidates voters into being afraid to vote for the people that they really think did the best job and to vote in terms of fairness but the problem with fairness um it has really no business in the oscar race the reason being it's never fair enough. 
It's never fair enough. Look, nature is not fair. I wish it was fair, but it isn't fair. If a lion is hungry, he's going to eat the little baby of the of the, mm-hmm. the little antelope that he can catch. You know, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's awful to watch nature in progress. And I'm not saying the Oscars and the film awards are nature. I am just saying that at what point does it, does it ever, you know, when's the end of it? Is there ever an end? Is it just always about fairness? If it is, then just stop making it a contest. Just have a committee of like 12 yeah, people yeah. and sit down and say, this is what needs to happen because this is the most fair. For those that didn't pay attention, you should just briefly explain that the New York Times letter that you described as a Judd Apatow letter, Judd Apatow was one of many signatories, uh, including many journalists who are uh, ally working for the New York Times, and they basically said that the Times was um, using terminology and giving impressions that are extremely, somewhat negative and even dangerous as far as the trans community is concerned. It was basically saying that you guys are being too much of the gray lady the traditional way you know considering counterclaims in both sides and that sort of thing uh and you're not being advocates for the ultimate uh, uh true blue passionate uh, uh thing that we are for which is like um you know you're not you're not radical enough you're not on the team mm-hmm. so that's what they were basically complaining about and i thought it was tell, call me um uh, uh incorrect if, if, if you think so but i think the new york times's uh the management's decision to basically tell those people sorry but we're not we're not going along with it and not only that we will not take kindly to any further uh letters written signed by times employees to this effect ever this is not something we're, we're going to be cool with so not only do we not we're not interested in, in in going along with what you're suggesting. We don't want to hear from you on this basis again. Yeah, that was great. Pound sand, in other words. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I wonderful. thought they were amazing too, and I was very impressed. And and uh, maybe two years ago they wouldn't have done that. They would have been too afraid, like when they were firing all those editors and stuff under pressure. Yeah. And that's how they fired the editors in the first place. Was they you know the people in the newsroom said this is going to cause us harm. Well, good people mm-hmm. immediately jump to their feet and worry, oh my God, what have I done? I'm going to cause them harm. Mm-hmm. But when you step back and you think about it for a minute, you realize that that is just a tactic for power. Deploy. And it, it certainly right. doesn't apply. It certainly doesn't mean that they're going to be caused any harm by stuff people write. Can you imagine that if that was the case? Mm-hmm. So we have this situation yeah. where um, uh, the, the children's author, uh, Ra- Raoul Dahl, I, I believe it's Rold, R-O-A-L-D, Rold, and then Dahl. Rold Dahl. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, kind of a spooky writer, children's writer. Yeah. And the host of a unseen but remembered in some circles of kind of Twilight Zone uh, TV show in the early 60s called Way Out, which I nobody remembers that, but I do. So the publisher had some sensitivity readers come in and uh, change words that they thought would be offensive to young people. Yes. I cannot, yes. I cannot stress enough how much of a mistake that is. Your job is to toughen the kids up, not to weaken the art, because that's like going yeah. to a museum and you know putting underwear on all the naked paintings, covering up the breasts. Um, yeah. That's the road they're going to go down? Like, that's how sensitive... Okay, listen, people. 
we're probably going to mm. get into World War III not too long from now, and you think it's bad now. You just wait, right? Like, I, I feel like mm. this generation just has no concept of war, right? Because they, by the time that they were growing up, the wars in the Middle East were mostly over. The Ukraine stuff, they can pretty much not look at it if they don't want to see it, you know? Um, but, mm. and also it's over there, so it's not really, you know, our problem, but you know, if we ever get into a real war with China or Russia, then everything's going to change dramatically. And, and all these kids are going to have to toughen up. And, you know, don't they know what it was like back then? So, you know, and if they can't handle words and a, and a, 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 a book like that, you know, what hope do we have for the future if this is how weak and fragile our children are? It's ridiculous. So that's, that's bad what they're doing. That is what they're doing. And um, the New York Times thing was shameful and embarrassing for anyone who signed that letter. And they should be remembered for all time and humiliated throughout mm. history for having done such a thing to try to yeah. um, uh, bully the New York Times into going along with them. In hopes that if they do that, somehow this conversation about gender affirmation care for young people is going to go away. It's not going to go away because it's controversial. I saw someone on Twitter say that, you know, this was similar to interracial marriage and gay marriage. No, it's not. Because all that is is people who are as they are getting married. Right. That's just taking, you know, equal protection under the law. They're able to get married. Gender affirming care is taking a minor child, sometimes as young as, I don't know, nine or 10 or so before puberty and giving them drugs that a lot of times do th horrible things like they can never have an orgasm again. They become infertile. They have bone loss and endometriosis early in life. They have health problems they have to deal with for the rest of their lives. And they don't have people stepping in and saying, whoa, you know, hang on a second. Mm. You don't know what you're about to do. Like, this is really, we can't sterilize children in this country. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I know everything about it. I don't. But I, what I do know is that journalists can't be stopped from investigating and writing about it for the sake of humanity. Like, we all have to be able to have access to the truth. And if they're afraid of the truth, then they don't have to hide and suppress journalists, um, force them to tell the story yeah. they want to tell. If, then if they're not afraid of the truth, then just let the journalists do their work. You know, um, mm -hmm. I say nobody wants the trans activists chasing them down. I'll just close this by saying mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to people transitioning, but I, I, and it's not my business, but I do worry and I will stand up and say something if it's about the sterilization of children. Yes, I will. I think that's immoral, and people should. Yes, be, I think uh, I, yeah. you have to at least be uh, in within in puberty. You have to at least be, uh, in my mind, you have to be experiencing the, horm the hormones that are natural to you, and you have to come to some decision. Uh, you know, at least you have to have to wait till you're like fourteen, fifteen. Even then, I would I would say, don't jump into this uh, realm too quickly. Um, I just think it's, it's there's something primarily wrong about immature young people making this decision. Let's just switch back briefly to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to the best picture thing. The, uh, as you say, the Producers Guild, do you think that it's going to be, that's this coming weekend or next weekend, and that's going to be more telling, more of a, uh, a clearer notion because of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, 
of the balloting system, right? That's why you are more interested in what happens next weekend than what happened this weekend. Yeah. I mean, the way it works is because we've seen enough of these by now. Sometimes we have years where the the voting is all over the place, like 2015. 2015, the Revenant was coming in ahead, and then the Big Short won the PGA, and that surprised everyone. And then Spotlight mm-hmm. won the SAG. So we had three different movies coming into the race, and people didn't know what, what Best Picture was going to be. But some years it's pretty obvious because one movie's winning everything it's Argo, King's Speech. Birdman. Mm-hmm. And so when, when this movie won the DGA, my thought was, this is going to be a movie like that. Because of its, mm-hmm. and only because, well, I mean, partly because it's an inventive movie, right? It's, it's, it's unusual in its, um, its design. So I think some people respond to it for that reason. But I also feel like these people and people on Twitter feel safe when they pick something they know isn't going to get them in trouble. They pick something that's yeah. safe when they know they don't have anything to worry about when they go to bed at night and they're going to wake up to headlines like we saw after Green Book won. You know? <laughs> that was great. That was one of the happiest moments of the last <laughs> like decade. A, like a, an agonizing yeah. Justin Chang essay in the uh, the LA Times, like yeah. calling the yeah. Academy racists. And, you know, we've been... Mm-hmm. seeing these sort of shaming essays for a long time. I wrote many of them myself, horrifyingly so, and uh, for mm-hmm. a long, long time. And the problem is, is that the ship hit the iceberg, you know, and it's starting to go down. And so this mm-hmm. is the time when they need to, you know, be successful and do uh, uh, what they do and not, yeah. you know, pandering because it's it's just taking the ship down. And um, that's fine mm-hmm. if that's where they want to go with it. Um, I don't necessarily think that if this movie wins, it means the ship goes down. But um, that's how I felt about Coda last year. <laughs> but I do think that um, that mm-hmm. if they're voting because of that reason and not because they love the movie, then they're they're doing themselves and the public a disservice. They should be picking the movie that they mm-hmm. love. You know, the most. Um... The story that got me going, that got me, you know, put me in a really good mood more than anything else, uh, was the uh, reviews about um, BlackBerry, which um, is a par- now a Paramount release, been picked up by Paramount, and it sounds to go by some of the reviews as a um, kind of a new social network, um, you know, kind of a uh, inside. The inside tech story about the uh, rise and fall of a great new technology, mm-hmm. and I just just thought it was the greatest sound. I really want to see that film, and I'm just I was really delighted that that kind of filmmaking and that kind of subject matter, uh, not preachy, not um, you know, just kind of like this is what happened. This is real history. We're kind of you know drawing from what was actually said, and we all know about the BlackBerry. I just thought it sounded so delightful. I can't wait to see it. I hope it comes out sometime. I don't know when it will come out, but, you know, maybe sooner rather than later. Yeah. Did you read many of the reviews or just that one at uh, the Hollywood Reporter? Do you do a, yeah, I looked at that. I mean, it? I remember somebody telling me that they thought that Top Gun was the kind of movie we used to get, like, many times a week back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just, yeah. it's just that those kind of movies barely exist anymore. And that's what I feel about that movie. That's a movie that you could catch on streaming and you would say, oh, hey, did you see that movie? It's pretty good. Um, but it's it's not mm-hmm. usually yeah. the kind of movie that's released in the movies. So I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about the Ben Affleck 
Matt Damon movie, um, Air. I think that looks good too. Um, I really just hope that they that they start listening to the market and give people, you know, the fact that so many people showed up for Top Gun shows that there are people out mm-hmm. there who want to see movies if Hollywood will just make them for them, you know? Yeah. I know, I I'm, I'm feel strangely, curiously optimistic about, I, I sense a shift in the ground. I, I shift templates. I, I sense a shifting of templates. I think that people are just getting sick of what's been going on, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a different situation as the months progress and as the year begins. Uh, so I feel I'm not feeling so bad about things, even though I'm very, very profoundly b- bummed out by the prospect of everything everywhere all at once, winning the Best Picture Oscar. I'm just going to try and <clears throat> not think about it too much, and who knows? I'd, I'd sure like to see it not win, but. As you say, and I, I trust your judgment, it's probably a, a moot point. It's probably not not much of a real chance of it not happening. But uh, boy, I'd be delighted if it if it if it didn't turn out that way. Well, the problem is there's just it's no just... alternative. I mean, that, all quiet on the Western Front. Um, you know, I I love the people in Netflix, and I know that they have a big job, and they've got a lot of movies um, on their plate, and that they have very high profile mm. people that they paid a lot of money for. I think in Ryan Johnson's case, they did pay a lot of money for Glass Onion, so they want their homegrown products to do well, as opposed to the movies that they just buy, like uh, All Quiet. Um, but, but be they that... completely <laughs> abandoned any serious. They haven't even invited. They haven't had screenings, according to what I was told by an Academy member today. It was mystified that they were so um, Netflix. I mean, was so um, weak and 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 um, you know lacking vigor, lacking passion. They just don't seem to care that much, simply because they don't regard it as one of their own. It's just a pickup. So they're just letting it do what it's going to do on its own steam. They're not doing anything to promote it. It's well, I really think they are now. Strange. There was some big shindig here in L.A. that I didn't go to that they had, and it was sold out. It was. Well, I what think- was that? I think it was oh, at I the Acad- it was at the Academy happened. Theater, and um, okay. they had I think the cast there, and that's a huge theater, and it was completely sold out. So you know that okay, that cool. yeah, they were definitely doing that. Um, I see mm-hmm. them trying mm-hmm. with the but but the, see the the problem with the awards race is that this movie should have been in the Producers Guild. It wasn't. Glass Onion was instead. It should have been at the Directors mm-hmm. Guild. It wasn't. It should have been. That that actor, the lead guy, should have been nominated for SAG. He wasn't. It should have been nominated at the Oscars for the Best Director Oscar. It wasn't. It got the right. Triangle of Sadness guy got in instead. And I think that mm-hmm. um, had they done all that, you'd be looking at a really formidable contender to win. Um, and then mm-hmm. they still could pull in a win, honestly. Like, it's not impossible. It's just that... Actors rule the Academy, and what actors want is what actors get. And if they like all everything, mm-hmm. everywhere, all at once, if they pick that movie. Now, if they pick Banshees of Inishirin instead, which I don't think they're going to do, but if they do, then... Nor do I. I mean, you know, I think they want to be seen as uh, intersectional, you know, and so they're going to pick the intersectional. Yeah. Look, everything, mm-hmm. everywhere, all at once describes who they are perfectly. It absolutely, I was watching the Art Directors Guild Awards and I was watching it and I was starting to think, God, this is so weird. It's like watching people in a different country almost because their Mm -hmm. separation from the rest of the country is so complete by now. 
They really do just exist in this own, their own little bubble. And they have an entire media ecosystem that is inside the bubble with them and social media. So they never really know that or care or have to step outside of it. The only time that they do is when the reality hits and the movie bombs. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Or people say, I've never heard of any of these movies that are nominated. Then reality presents itself. But in general, they don't have mm. to face reality if they don't want to. So everything mm. everywhere to me is the perfect metaphor for what has happened to, to, I hate to use this term, but I have to use it as the left, right? It's, it's become more elitist. Sure. It's become more insular. It's become more, you know, defined by identity, but it's also moving mm. online to online spheres. And that's what this movie is about to me. It's about crossing over into that different kind of existence and all these people in hollywood they're to me they feel like they're already there right so this movie is to them like i don't know passion of the christ would be to to christians you know Mm, it's mm. it's like they're it's it speaks to them so that's why i think it's going to certainly win the sag uh and maybe the pga You know what's like what I really like around this time of year? Uh, the articles that I like are the ones you know that Scott Feinberg calls the brutally candid, brutally honest Academy voter. This is what they think. And when do those start? They kind of don't aren't they supposed to be running right about now? I mean, aren't you allowed to? Uh, they, they 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 say it's not cool to you have to wait until a certain point when you can run these pieces, but other people do them, and I'd really like to. They do, but Scott really like Scott waits them. until. The ballots are in, you know, and, and once the ballots Until are they're turned, in the wow. final ballots okay. so that it's not influencing anyone's vote. But other people don't wait. Other people put out their their things to get the jump on it. I don't find those. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think Scots tend to be sort of useful, but in general, I don't find them to be because a lot of those people are chatty Cathy's. You know, they just like to get on and mm-hmm. talk to people. Um, and unless you're getting a really good representative. Um, example um, of a, a representative sample of an academy member, then you're not mm. really going to know what they think. But but it is mm. good to hear what mm. people really think instead of um, you yeah, know, the conventional wisdom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I imagine what we're going to see is you know some people are going to love everything everywhere, some people are going to hate it. Mm. But I would think that that if there's a challenge to it, it's probably has to be. Um, all quiet on the Western Front. There doesn't seem to be anything else at the moment that has presented itself. I was hoping mm-hmm. that movie would be Top Gun, but it doesn't look like that's happening. Boy, I'd sure like it, but it doesn't seem to have ignited. Uh, the only thing that has really ignited is Top Gun's bandwagon, if you will, is that single quote by Steven Spielberg that that film more or less single-handedly reinvigorated the uh, the economy of Hollywood and particularly the exhibition side of things. And uh, that got replayed again today because um, Kaczynski, the director of Kaczynski, was asked by Variety, what did you think about the Spielberg thing? And that was another video in and of itself. So I I love that single quote that, that, you know, Top Gun saved Hollywood's ass. And it's it's viral. Even Eric Cohn, who's a doesn't believe in all that, and he's very much of an everywhere, uh, all-at-once guy. Even he admits that it was a viral quote, and it really did penetrate. So that's what I dream about, that having some effect, but I, I, I fear not. I fear not. Well, I, um, just don't, I just don't think that the people inside the bubble care all that much. 
Um, mm-hmm. They don't. I don't think that they think that the, the that the industry needs to be saved because I think that they think <laughs> it's just fine the okay. way it is. They've got their streaming yeah. platforms. They've got their audience. They've got their social media fan base, and they don't mm-hmm. care about Hollywood. They don't care about the economy of Hollywood. Why should they care? You know, it doesn't matter. Because to them. exhibition, the the, the communal. Uh, you know, savoring of movies via exhibition is is, is really the lifeblood of, of good cinema. It's something that I never want to see uh, eliminated. It's it's so vital to the. I mean, I hate watching movies with bad audiences, which is to say, ill-mannered people who seem to be you know easily distracted and always you know during their texting during the film and all that. But it is wonderful when a film catches on with an audience, and I I, I think that. Not having that as part of the meal, part of the, uh, you know, part of the ten course meal of, of of the award season. It's fascinating when that happens. Mm. And uh, you're saying that people are indifferent or they don't care about exhibition surviving. That's a really thoughtless, callous way of looking at things. I think the way you they know, see it is that you and I are part of the old world, and mm-hmm. that's the world we know. And the world they know is the future, which is kids like my daughter who don't know what it's like to anticipate a movie opening in the movie theater, right? They, they, mm-hmm. That's not their jam. But what it is is it's a class thing because people all over America, a country that is very big with 300 million people, poor people, working class people, they still love to go to the movies. You know, uh, immigrants yeah, love to go yeah. to the movies. And, and, you know, Hispanic audiences love the movies. Black audiences love the movies. All the working class people love them. The people who seem to be fine with discarding them are the very elite. You know, the, the rich and wealthy and people who, you know, get screenings for free, right? They, they get nice screening rooms that they have or the Ross mm-hmm. house or whatever it is. It's not a special event for them, right? But if you're poor and you work all week and you want to do something on Saturday night, let's go see Top Gun. Like, imagine what that's like for a family. How fun that would be. Mm. You know, it, it, it's life changing yeah. how fun it is. Reminds me of when I was a kid and mm. my mom would take us to the drive-in, you know. Going to the movies was an escape. You know, you, you get in there, you pay your ticket. You know that for the next two hours, you're going to be transported somewhere. And you don't have yeah. to do anything else except allow yourself to be carried away by it. But, you know, the whole thing was everybody was there. They were walking back and forth to the snack bar, bringing back popcorn. My sister and I would spread out a blanket and sit on the asphalt and just watch the movie. And you didn't even need a speaker because you could hear the sound coming from the speakers in the cars. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're watching some dumb mm-hmm. movie from the 70s. It doesn't even matter what it is, but you're transported by the movies. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's just a thing that we remember. Now, think about people, let's say, in the 19... 19- 40s, you know, or 30s, who were talking about uh, silent films, you know, or um, movie musicals, or uh, war movies, or, you know, however things in Hollywood changed over time, you know, as the generations passed through. What did they remember? Did they remember sitting around the radio at night with their family listening to the headlines? Do they miss that? Do they miss just getting, you know, Roosevelt's fireside chats? And how nice that was. And do they feel like the world is over because those don't happen anymore? You know, sometimes I wonder that too. Mm -hmm. Are we just clinging to the past? You know? 
Um, that's the thing that haunts me each and every day. Don't be, don't give in to this clinging to good memories that you have selectively decided to hang on to. Uh, you know, embrace whatever you're, you're feeling out there right now. Incorporate that into your understandings, your, your intuitions, if you will. But don't just like focus on how much better it was. That's something you can't, it's really going right. to uh, undermine your, your voice. You can't. So I'm always doing that. No, but you can, kind of. you can uh, remember what's good about the movies and why it's still a thing people love to do. Look, if Top Gun hadn't made $700 million, then yeah, sure, stick a fork in it. But that proved that movies are mm -hmm. still alive and that pe it's like the little plant in Wally. -E. You know, they leave Wally, -E, they leave Earth and they think it's all dead and, and destroyed. And, and they find this, mm -hmm. Wally -E finds a little plant, proof of life. And brings it back, and they're like, "There's hope. We can rebuild it." That's what Top Gun was. Mm. Top Gun was the little plant, and it was like, "Wow, mm. wait a second. It's not dead. You know, we can we can still have this experience in this country of the thing we do uniquely well that no other country can do. Like we can create the yeah. magic like nobody else. We're this. We're the country that invented, um, you know, Disney movies and and the magic of cinema." All these other countries make great mm -hmm. movies. They tell incredible stories. They're better writers than we are over here, without a doubt. But, um, but we mm -hmm. can make the magic of the movies like nobody else. No other country could make Top Gun, Maverick. There's no way. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. why not yeah. have a little nationalistic pride in what we do and what we offer? <laughs> why not just, you know, revel in it? I, I mean, I would, yeah. if I were these Hollywood yeah. guys, I would say, I'm a white dude, so what? I'm going to make a great movie. I'm yeah. going to make the best movie you've ever yeah. seen, and you're never going to be able to complain about the fact that I'm a white guy. <laughs> 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 Let's yeah. just really quickly do the other categories, because we only did Best Picture. So what do you think about okay. Best Actor? Do you think that um, Austin, I think Austin Butler's probably going to win, because he's won the Globe, and he's won the uh, BAFTA now. And so that pretty yeah. much says he's going to win the win the, the Oscar. And when I saw Austin Butler and Elvis in Cannes last May, I my reaction was um, definitely one of um, intrigue and respect, but I was not blown away, not knocked out, because the movie itself is not that deep. It's kind of a, you know, it just kind of whooshes through the whole present life, and it doesn't really sink in all that well, at least not in my judgment, and Tom Hanks is a constant irritant. <laughs> and uh, I did uh, appreciate Butler's performance. It's good. He he gave it hell. He he really did work it. Mm. So, you know, no no slagging the guy at all. I just didn't feel lifted or, or touched deep down, you know, but I thought it was good, you know, good mm. good good effort. Others have said similar things that you know, it was a, it was, you know, there's, there's a, an impersonation. A, a, he gave himself over to what he felt was a core Presley, that, that spirit. But I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was okay. Well, you know, if I not, I don't know of anybody. If not um, him, who would you think would be a better choice? The most charismatic and likable candidate uh, um, nominee in the best actor realm is Colin Farrell. I think he is the guy that I would truly like to see. And I'm talking about just his campaign. I'm not even talking about the guy he plays. He's very good. He's very uh, affecting. Uh, you can feel this lonely fellow 
uh, dismayed and not knowing what how to respond and getting very bitter and angry. But he's um, he's a very charming fellow, and I think that talk about you know he's due and he's been around for a while. And I think he's wonderful, and um, so I I would love to see him win, but who knows? Maybe that's not going to happen. I I, I, would, I I felt I felt sad when he lost the BAFTA because its face looked sad and it made me sad. I, I, he looked like he was disappointed that he lost. Um, and Brendan Fraser mm. too. Like, what do you th- <laughs> do? You think? Well, see. So here's the thing: it definitely comes down to the SAG Awards. If Brendan Fraser wins the SAG Awards, then he's going to win the Oscar. So it's probably between. <laughs> it's probably between Brendan <laughs> Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, and uh, I didn't hate his performance. You understand? I thought it was actually pretty affecting, but I don't like the idea of focusing on someone who's that self-loathing and has given into so much despair that he's more, you know, basically killed himself in a slow-motion fashion. I didn't think there was any particular um, uh, universal theme or or, or current in that um because it was very extreme but if you just give yourself over to it you say okay this is a guy who's can't get himself out of this misery pit that he's been in because of the loss of a of a dearly beloved so Mm -hmm. you know i understand people who feel that way but i feel that's kind of a cliche it's it's like the tom hanks character in um no i can't remember the name of the film Uh, Otto. Uh, you know, he he yeah. feels so badly about his wife having uh, died that he's uh, cynical and bitter. Except he's not really cynical and bitter because he's Tom Hanks doing cynical and bitter in this kind of a charming way. And I didn't really believe that he was suicidal. I thought it was easy and convenient for a character like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's, they're not good enough films, and the characters are intriguing, but they're not good enough. Not by my measuring stick that's for sure well so, but mm. but pharaoh a really really charismatic and fascinating yeah. fellow i know I really I, i'd love to story. see him win yeah. actually you know me i love that movie we talked about it already i just don't think it's enough to overcome the two men perf- male performances who are very transformed by makeup and the physical effects mm-hmm. i i think it's yeah. a t- still a toss-up between I can't quite give up on mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser until I see who wins the SAG. I just have a feeling Brendan Fraser's going to win that, but we'll just see. Maybe it'll be Austin Butler. Um, and then it'll be a toss-up at the Oscars, because the BAFTA voters do have a lot of influence over there. And then Best Actress, yeah. Kate, Kate Blanchett, pretty much can't lose, right? She's just got this thing sewn up. I don't see how the possible completely sewn up, I think. I don't think there's any chance of anybody else even coming close, but yeah, I'll be I'll be dumbfounded if someone else wins. But and then there's um, I think most people. And then the supporting, I still think Kihi Kwan is going to win for everything everywhere. I don't think Barry Keegan's going to win at the Oscars. And then there's a chance that Carrie Condon will win the Oscar. I think, but uh, Angela Bassett, I think, is sort of overdue. Like she should have won for what's love got to do with it. I haven't really seen Black Panther still, so I don't know if, if she gives a good performance in that or not, but they didn't give it to Chadwick Boseman. So I'm wondering, are they going to give it to Angela Bassett? Chadwick Boseman seemed like the pressure was really on there. Didn't feel that the, she was, I felt she was actually too strident. She was playing one main emotion, which is 
my grief is so profound and so mm. jarring to me. I can only let it out in shrieks of anger and indignation that fate would take my son from me and that I am left bereft without, uh, uh, you know, without a son I, lo I dearly love. And I just got really tired of that one note being played over and over again. Yeah. Nobody I know that has any real uh, comprehension of what a, a really fascinating performance can be. That That's not a fascinating performance. It's mm. just a... It's it's a, uh, it's a it's a kind of a showboat performance about how angry and upset and devastated I am as a mother, and it didn't resonate with me at all. And I think she's getting she's up there because of tokenism. So that's that's my feeling. Well, I I don't know, but I would like to see Carrie Condon win because I think everybody in that movie is great, and and somebody from Banshees has to win. I think. Um, some of the yeah. an acting award you know i don't think it's right that, mm -hmm. that they none of them win so i hope one of them wins and i guess if it has to be somebody it'll be her <clears throat> now of course if it's all four white winners then you know they're going to get in a lot of trouble right <sighs> so you know this is this is the thing that I, we're also sick of i'm certainly sick of it but that's what yeah that's what the thinking is and therefore mm -hmm. there has to be um, you know a nominee of color winning somewhere and that's why i guess angela bassett is favored too but again i say take a look at the performance and tell me with a straight face look me right in the eye and say you think that was really a exceptionally good performance and that's just self-conjuring and delusion you know don't believe i don't i don't buy it yeah but uh, that's the way you know and remember just just always every you have to say every year remember what a degraded organization sag is sag used to be you know, people who had attained a certain degree of accomplishment and respect from their peers and so on. I mean, when they brought in uh, after. the after part, you know, it really lowered the property values in terms of their uh, uh, their decisions and their sentiments, if you ask me. And, the, you know, the Academy sort but of did the same thing when they brought in all those new voters, too, because, you know, it was sort of like it was no longer a... I mean, it's no wonder they're getting sort of swarmed by activists because they capitulated. They didn't hold on yeah. to this idea that they are a respected group of people who, who earned their right to be there. It's more like you're only here because, you know, we need to, we need to you know, even things out. And I, I, I just think if you keep doing that, you know, if you keep doing that, you're mm -hmm. going to, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to dull your brand a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, possibly, I don't know. Maybe that's wrong to say. I, who are we to say? But uh, but anyway, I I would be curious to see how that how that all plays out. Let me just ask you clearly: Do you think that because the Daniels won with the DGA, that means that they're they've got a smooth, easy road to getting to winning the best director Oscar, the Daniels? Or uh, think I think there's... there's a good chance that they will win. Um, the DGA has very rarely departed with the. Um, First of all, Edward Berger is not nominated for the Oscar director, so he they can't do what Bong Joon-ho and Parasite did and win everything like that. Um, yeah. So Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun isn't nominated there. What I could see happening, yeah. actually, is, as I mentioned to you before a long time ago, was uh, if Tar continues to build momentum among these people, which it seems to be, 
Paul Thomas Anderson had a great quote at the DGA saying he thought it was a ghost story, which I loved. He's so right about that. He has the admiration of like the cool people, Todd Field right now for that movie. So, and, and that it reminds me, it gives me a little bit of Steven Soderbergh vibes from Traffic that year where I could see maybe if anything happens, he could maybe sneak in like Steven Soderbergh did who won for Traffic and mm-hmm. Gladiator won Best Picture. Um, it's, it's a different kind of year, but that's, that's the only thing I can see happening. Otherwise, I think the Daniels are probably going to win Picture and Director. <sighs> I'm sorry, but... Um, all right, so are you going wow. to be um, going to Cannes? Did you figure that out yet? No, uh, we're just uh, suddenly uh, confronting a situation in which uh, my longtime subletter, uh, his name is Julian, and he has, uh, he's been subletting to me for many years, myself and Anne Hornaday, we used to um, share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then his mom uh, began to sublet. And uh, we just were told that we're kind of out of luck this year, so we have to kind of start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Unless we can persuade them to not jettison us and give us another shot. But basically, it's a very tough thing in, in Cannes uh, as far as finding something decent, uh, even tolerable. Um, it's not easy. And it's, uh, I mean, when you have my budget, I should say, you know, to try and find a, a share place for like 2K for 10 days. 11 days it's uh you know something that doesn't involve coming over from the next town over or something which is a drag but that's that's the way it is you know you have to kind of struggle with it you don't you don't want to do my suggestion of um of you want la pan yeah (laughs) or some i don't mind going to can la boca which isn't uh, too awful that's uh one town over there are city buses it's not terrible. You know, you just have to get used to the idea of, uh, of taking the bus or, or sometimes taking a cab. But what's so lovely about the place that we have had for all these years is that it's just a really short walk from the Palais. And you can just go back there and, and file at your, at your leisure and, and, and just walk back to the next screen. It's really great. Really great. Uh, if you're stuck inside the Palais, you have to kind of figure out, you know, um, the Wi-Fi situation can be tough. But, you know, I don't want to bore people with all the technical logistics. That's something they have <laughs> well, to kinda, I'll tell you that I, yeah. some of my best days, and, you know, it's, it's sad when things are over. Like, I think I told you I'm not going to the Oscars this year because my daughter's coming mm-hmm. into town for my birthday, and, and we're probably going to go to Solvang and hang out. And I'd much rather spend time with her than go to the Oscars, which I've been going for 10 years. And I did ask them for another ticket, but... Uh, they couldn't mm-hmm. give, give me one, so I was going to bring her, which mm-hmm. I would love to do. But uh, but until that would have been, been great, wouldn't that be great? I, I really wanted to because you know I, I basically raised her and my website exactly the same concurrently for mm-hmm. uh, you know for for her entire life, and so it would be like coming full circle. I think if um, mm. uh, if if I could uh, take her, but but that was not possible. So. Um, okay. So I, I, uh, I, but I, I did have this sense of relief that I wasn't going for some reason. And, and it was the same relief that I felt when I stopped going to Cannes. You know, there's something about mm-hmm. just ending a period of time in your life, you know, where it's just, that's the end and, and it's fine. And, you know, um, but I, I will mm-hmm. say that my memories of that place uh, are always about staying in Juan Le Pen and, and renting a little car, mm-hmm. a little tiny 
uh, little tiny gas saver stick shift car and driving from <laughs> from there to the to the to the palais. I just loved it. I loved pretending I was a little French commuter and zooming down those roads with them <laughs> in the morning and then yeah. back home at night. It was just so much fun to sort of pretend that I lived there. Um, that's mm, that's yeah. something you don't really yeah. get when you're in the can proper because you do feel like you're still a tourist or you're a reporter or whatever. You're not a citizen. You're not a resident. But I did not mm. mind that that ride, mm. and the car was not that expensive. Um, but I didn't mind the drive, and you could get like a little moped. Well, it's probably too far to ride on a moped. Now, how would you get to those eight thirty in the morning screenings? By driving in from Zwanlapan, finding parking, the whole thing. So you'd have to leave at like six thirty or something, right? No, it or only takes about get there on time. Takes about twenty minutes to drive, and mm-hmm. um, you just have to find a parking garage. It's not that hard. Um, parking turned mm-hmm. out to be not the hardest thing. Uh, okay. No, I liked it. I didn't have any complaints. It was so much fun to just drive in and out. I mm. loved it. Oh God, it was great. But um, but yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's better to just be within walking distance, of course. Nothing like the Le Souquet, which is the best place to stay there, for sure. Oh, it's wonderful. If yeah. you can get in there, that's... Le Souquet is a term for the old town that is a hilly area uh, where the can used to be, because pretty much the whole thing was in this area uh, when Cannes was a small village in the... 18th century and even earlier 17th century uh-huh. it's a beautiful beautiful old uh old, old region so, you just can't believe it that's it's, a look. it's one of those places you walk around and you're just like i can't believe this i just can't believe yeah. this oh i just you know it really does blow your mind mm-hmm. whereas you know juan le pen or or the regular town like you know it's just kind of I don't know. It's nice. It's France. Everything in France is nice, but those kind of places are mm-hmm. really special. You know, people are lucky to get to live right. there. Mm-hmm. Little cats and dogs everywhere. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I know. Okay, let's let's. Wrap All it right. Up we'll. Um, I think we've covered it. Yeah, we covered it. All and right. Lovely. <laughs> to, lovely to hear you go on and explain <laughs> it exactly as it is. And. Um, oh, you too. You know when you when you. When you catch it, you're really good. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, well. Until next time. Okay. All right. Bye bye. You gotta help us. We can't tell. Flies from Montgomery Made me a poster Of an old rodeo Just give me one thing I can hold on to To believe in this living Is just a hard way to go When I was a young girl, 
how much she's looking It's just a was a long time and it's no matter how I try and I try and I try to you it's just a roll by me like a broken down damn. make me an angel that's Just give me one thing I got to hold 